I want you to imagine that you grew up and you worked hard in high school and you got good grades and you did well and maybe you were in National Honor Society and you got good letters of recommendation, you went to college. And college wasn't that hard for you, you did well. And your professors liked you and you were a community leader at college and you graduated and now it was time to do what? to enter into the workforce. So you got excited and you had wonderful people who could be your references when you were in high school and when you were in college and you even volunteered in an animal shelter. How amazing. And then you start applying and what happened? You realized you were just one of many, many, many people with very similar stories and now you were competing and now you interviewed and didn't hear back and you would maybe interview, and what would happen? You would hear, hey, thank you so much for your candidacy. We'll let you know. And it continued for a while. And then finally, the corporate office of Walmart was willing to give you a shot. And you said, okay, I don't know if this is exactly what I was imagining, but, you know, there are a lot of opportunities to get involved in the business world starting in the corporate office of Walmart, so that makes sense. So you interview and it goes well. And they say, hey, we will get back to you, and they do. And they give you your job. And you find out that it's going to be the third shift parking lot, and you're going to be watching the carts, and you're going to be watching everything going on, and someday you may have an opportunity to do something else, but you're going to be the supervisor of the Walmart parking lot in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Now, it would be really easy to have some very unhelpful mindsets that would really lead to some negative things. So I want to talk about, so you could immediately say, hmm, okay, um, so, well, I worked really hard my whole life, and now I'm in something that's unimportant. So what could you do as the supervisor of the Walmart parking lot? You could say, hey, I can go ahead and sleep on the job because it doesn't really matter. Think about it for a second. True or false, there's cameras on the Walmart parking lot. Okay. True or false, you watching cameras that are also recorded is redundant. So you can sleep because it wouldn't make any difference, right? Or you could say this. You could say this is boring, so you could multitask. Have you ever seen this? You walk in, you see someone on their laptop, and they got their phone out too, and they're watching Netflix, and you say, hey, I can get a couple shows in. That's not a big deal. This isn't super helpful, so I'm okay just kind of going through the motions. Or you could say this. You could say, hey, this is beneath me. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like you were doing a job that was beneath you? Hey, you were in National Honor Society. You worked so hard in college. When everybody else was partying, you were studying, and now you're watching the Walmart parking lot? It's beneath you. So you know what you could do? You could say, it's unimportant to not take it seriously. Now, life can be like this for so many of us. We can get into places where, number one, we can say this is unimportant, Number two, we can say, this is boring. And number three, we can say, this is beneath me. And the shepherds in Luke's gospel had this going on in their life. They were people, you know the story. Open up your Bible to Luke chapter 2. It's a story we come to every year. And here's what happened. They were people 
who were kind of on the margins of their society. They were, they were people who were a faith, wanted to make a difference, and now they're out watching fields at nighttime with sleeping sheep, and we'll get into that. And they had a low place in their culture. Here's what it says. I'll read it very briefly, uh, starting in verse 8. That night there were shepherds staying in their fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them. The radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I will bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. And so you'll see there's all this wonderful stuff that happens with them, but they're in this redundant low place. And if you notice, the angels appear not to Herod. The angel doesn't appear to all the dignitaries, all the really important people, all the people with flowing robes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Who does the angel appear to? The guys watching the Walmart parking lot. Because they're low in their society, but if you notice, they're the first to serve in the kingdom of God. They're the first people who were chosen, and now they get an opportunity to serve, and then they have an opportunity to meet baby Jesus, and they get the good news first. It's interesting, because when we think of the idea of shepherds, we so often think of what? We think of the shepherd's crook. Imagine your shepherd's crook for a moment. And so often, I think we have this idea that a shepherd is maybe a leader primarily. You're leading sheep, right? You're taking care of sheep. But if you really think about what it was like to be a first century shepherd, yes, you were a leader, but you were primarily a servant. So a shepherd had a shepherd's crook, a staff, and that was used to lead and guide the sheep. But the shepherd's primary responsibility was not during the day. Did you know this? So the primary responsibility of the shepherd was at nighttime, while the sheep were sleeping, the shepherd had to have a rod and a sling in case a leopard came or in case a wolf came or a hyena or a jackal. And the shepherd would have to serve the sheep to protect the sheep to make sure that the sheep had safety. You with me? We sometimes think of this idea that shepherds are simply just gentle people guiding the sheep. So to be a shepherd is to be a servant. And if you think of Jesus, Jesus is ultimately the good shepherd. Now, we're coming into an election season. I mentioned this, and you're going to notice I'm going to give you a positive example from 40 years ago and another positive example from 40 years ago because one of our frustrations, right, in right now is that we wish we had leaders who were servants. We wish we had leaders who actually looked at the public good over their own. So I don't know about their policies. I don't know about any other things, how you think of President Carter or President Reagan. But President Carter was a servant in his post-presidency. What did he do? He said, hey, I have an opportunity to be a carpenter and to help build houses for the poorest of poor people, that leadership is service. President Reagan, when he was growing up, he was a lifeguard, and that portrait was actually hung on the wall of the White House because he said, above all else, I want to be remembered as a lifeguard, someone who is there to serve others. Now, these are two imperfect examples, but both of them are people 
who made an attempt to serve, and Jesus, you know, we think of him as a carpenter, but ultimately, Jesus didn't describe himself and say, I'm the good carpenter. He said, I'm the good, the good shepherd, the good shepherd who takes care of his sheep. And so as we come to this text, I want you to remember that as we look at the very first people who got to meet Jesus, the very first people who get the good news, the servants, that they get to meet Jesus, and Jesus doesn't want to imitate the king. He doesn't want to imitate the religious people. He imitates them. He says, hey, I'm the good shepherd. And so as we are thinking of this idea of leadership, I want to ask you a question. Are you willing to serve like a shepherd? Because we have all these times in our lives where we think that maybe we need to just take authority and tell people what to do, right? Do you have a, a knucklehead teenager? Anybody have a... Show of hands if you know a knucklehead teenager, okay? So sometimes with a knucklehead teenager, what we say is, I can put my foot down like the boss and put them in their place. And the challenge is, is what does the knuckleheaded teenager do? Do they listen when you put them in their place? Maybe you can even get them to say, I'm sorry, out loud, but imagine all the nonsense going on in the, in the knuckleheaded teenager's head, right? So what I'd invite you to say, the shepherds, the very, very first people who heard about Jesus, and Jesus, the, the very, very, very first person who was Jesus, and the only one who is Jesus, 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 they all, think about that, they all served first. In fact, Jesus was clear. He said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. So I want to invite you. We're going to look at a text that you probably have dealt with every single year you've ever been in church. And I want to invite you to see this as an opportunity to say, hey, am I willing to serve like a shepherd? Am I willing to be someone who says, you know what? I don't have to be some dictator I don't have to be some autocrat. I don't have to be some harsh boss. I can lead by serving. I can live by serving. Do we agree that this is a good idea? Now, here's my question for you. So what does it mean to serve like a shepherd? I want to show you right in the text. We're only going to take the first three verses. I've already read them once. And I want to show you super clearly that we stay awake. I like doing this. We read the text together. It's very brief. Let's read it. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks. Stop. Okay, good. Here's the thing. When we think of how we're going to serve, if someone asks you for help, and you come in, and they say, hey, I really need you to help me with a job, and you say, absolutely, I'm going to go to sleep first. Does that help? Okay. When you get trained to be any sort of job, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a school teacher, whether you're working in a hospital, it doesn't matter, okay? You know the number one thing that they expect of you when you're doing your job? To stay awake. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like, like, think about it. Imagine, so you're going in for, for surgery, and you love your doctor. He's got a great bedside demeanor, doesn't he? And you're like, this guy actually gets me. And now you get wheeled into the operating room, and it's time to have surgery. And he says, hold on, guys, and he goes to sleep. Does that serve anybody? Okay, so as we're thinking of this, I want you to notice, and I'm silly because I'm silly for a point. Sometimes we think that we need 
to have all these other things first. Notice what the shepherds are doing. Let's read it again. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks. Think of guarding. If you're guarding something, it means you're awake. As I mentioned, with a shepherd, the number one danger was leopards, jackals, hyenas, etc. If, when the sheep were sleeping, the shepherd was sleeping too, if the threat came, what would happen? Sheep lunch or sheep dinner or sheep lupper or whatever word you'd like to do, there would be one less sheep or more in the fray. And so the fundamental idea is the shepherd simply had to be present and to stay awake. And sometimes we can say, hmm, I don't really get that. I don't think that's a big deal. Well, look later in the Bible, okay? So you got this is the first story of Jesus, baby Jesus. At the end of the life of Jesus, he's in a garden, okay? How many buddies are there with him? All the buddies, the 12 disciples, right? And what does he ask them to do? Please stay awake. Do they? They don't, okay? So if this was such a given, I think they would have figured it out. This can be hard. Simply really being present in our marriage can be hard, can't it? And don't tell your spouse, oh yeah, you have a hard time being present. No, each of us as, each of us as our people have a hard time being really present. We have a million reasons we can disengage and not serve the other person, right? We have a million things that come in that give us excuses and reasons not to. I want you to imagine our friend who is in the Walmart parking lot. And I want you to now imagine that he's sitting there and he's like, I'm not sure what I'm going to do because I have an opportunity to watch a parking lot and it seems like it's redundant and it seems like it's not necessary. And so what can easily happen? He can easily start to sit on his phone. He can easily start to say it's beneath him or complain. But by being awake, what can he do? He can go around the parking lot and pick up nails. Has anybody ever picked up a nail in your tire? How annoying is that? Is that like covered by insurance or something? Probably not. Try calling up the adjuster. Hey, so um, the Walmart people didn't do their job and pick up the nails in the parking lot. Well, that sounds like your problem. That's pretty frustrating. You should probably write to Walmart corporate, right? And so the reality is, is that if someone whose job it is to watch the Walmart parking lot simply picks up the nails, what else? What happens with the cart? Has anyone ever gotten a cart run into your car? Has it ever happened? It's annoying, right? If the Walmart parking lot guy, instead of disengaging on his phone, instead of just saying, this is beneath me or whatever, if he's making sure that the parking lot is safe and clear, a lot of good happens. We stay awake. We are present. So I want to tell you that the reason this is important for my family is because my grandfather, his name was Ralph Donald Cushing, and I tell you his full name because his dad was Ralph Augustus Cushing. And his dad came down with ALS. And it was really tragic and really hard as a relatively young man. And so my grandfather wanted to help his dad. And he was constantly looking for opportunities to be present with his dad. Now many of you have had times maybe where you couldn't make it to church. So how do we attend church instead? At home, right? Church on the couch. 90 years ago, could you attend church on the couch? My grandfather, Ralph Donald, wanted to make sure Ralph Augustus could get to worship 
My grandfather wanted to make sure that Ralph Augustus could be part of the community, so they were involved in Park Street Church in Boston. And if you've ever been there, if you walk in, there's a very big spiral staircase. And so what my grandfather would do is he'd literally pick up his dad and carry him up the staircase. Now I say this to you because the pastor of that church was a guy named Dr. Ockengay, Harold Ockengay. In fact, if you ever hear the term evangelical, Dr. Ockengay coined that term. Years later, my father, not Ralph Augustus, that was my great-grandfather, not Ralph Donald, my grandfather, but my dad, David Stanley Cushing. I'm also David Stanley Cushing, and that's always been confusing, but that's another story for another day. And so eventually, my dad goes to seminary where he meets Dr. Ockengay. And my dad says to Dr. Ockengay, oh, you must have known my father. And Dr. Ockengay, thinking of how big of a church Park Street was, says, you know, probably not. Um, there's a lot of people who have come in and out of that church over the years, but I'm glad he came. And my dad said, well, I don't know. Um, my dad did always used to carry his dad up the stairs. And Dr. Ockengay suddenly said, oh, I do remember your dad. And he started telling all these stories. And you got to remember, Park Street Church at the time was the closest thing this region had to a mega church. There were thousands of people going in. And Dr. Ockengay, 20, 30 years later, still remembered a guy who was willing to carry his dad upstairs to go to worship who had ALS. And so my question for you is, what does it mean to you to be awake, to be present? I want to give you two really quick ones. I joked about how we know knuckleheaded teenagers. Let's think of teenagers all the way down to children. Raise your hand if you know any child in any capacity in life. Okay. Here's a way to stay awake. Sometimes children come up to us, and they just want us to be present. Maybe they want us to listen to what they're saying. Maybe they want to interrupt our conversation. I'm not saying let kids be rude. What I'm going to tell you is simply saying, wow, one way I can serve is not by shushing a child, not by ignoring a child, not by multitasking, but simply being present with a child is a great way to just be present and to serve. I'll give you one more. Sometimes, when you think in your house, in your workplace, or even in your church, sometimes there's things that are necessary to be done, aren't there? Maybe there's dirty dishes, maybe chairs need to be put away, maybe toys need to be cleaned up, it doesn't matter. I want to invite you to look for the proactive ways. Maybe there's something you can do without being asked. Maybe you can look and say, hey, rather than feeling like my spouse nags me, maybe I can go over to the sink and do the dishes for the 13 seconds it takes and just not have the issue. What it means to be awake for us can often simply be proactively serving and putting the needs of others first. And so what does it mean to serve like a shepherd? We stay awake. But I also want to tell you that it's not just this idea of, hey, I need to do more. Hey, I need to feel like I haven't done enough and I can do more things and I can be more of a person who just takes everything on. No, there's advantages to serving like a shepherd. I want to show you something else right in the text. When we serve like a shepherd, we see God's glory. Now, I want to be clear. One of the big things that happens in life is people want to see glory. What is glory? Glory means shiny, lifted up, positive. Okay? So one of the reasons we get into trouble is we see life as mundane, so we look to other places for life to be better. 
That's glory. So the world offers all sorts of glory in all sorts of ways. Some's okay, some's not good. But what I want to show you is when we actually see God's glory. Let's read this and I'll explain. Here's what it says. Next verse. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. So let's make it clear. Shepherds are awake. And now big bright lights come out of nowhere. You with me? Big bright lights. And they're terrified. Why are they terrified? Because they're servants and they want to protect the sheep. They're worried there's a threat that's going to hurt their sheep and they're terrified about it. And we often think the glory is simply because an angel showed up. We talked about this last week. We asked, hey, would you like to have an angel show up in your life? And everybody pretty much agreed that we'd like to. And then we all kind of agreed that we'd probably pass it off and ignore it, think it was indigestion or some other thing like that. But what I want to show you is that when we serve, we see God's glory. It was the fact that the shepherds were still serving on a boring hillside, protecting sheep. From that place, that's where God worked. Sometimes we want to go from zero to 60. We want to say, my life is boring, so I want to see God's glory. And then we're really upset when life is boring. What I want to invite you to see is that when we serve... Those moments give us the chance to see God's glory. Imagine our guy in the Walmart parking lot. And he's decided, hey, I'm going to be proactive. I'm going to pick up the nails. And I'm going to go ahead and move the shopping carts. And now he notices something because he's serving. And he notices there's a broken down van. And so he goes over and he approaches the person in the van. Yes, it's a bold thing at three in the morning, but our friend is now realizing he's there to serve and there are security cameras. So he'll be okay. And he walks over and he knocks on the van. And a guy comes out and says, hey, my car is broken down and I'm not from around here. I just figured I'd kind of sleep in the car for the rest of the night and figure it out, but I'm not really sure what to do. Since you're here, can you help me? And now our friend in the Walmart parking lot has an opportunity to serve and to say, hey, I'm sorry you're not from around here. Here's some things you can do. Here's where you can go. Let me assist. He can simply show up in that person's life. Now, I want to be clear. Sometimes we think that the things we do don't matter. And sometimes we think we just serve and feel like everybody takes advantage of us, don't we? Have you ever felt this way? You feel like you give and you serve and people take and take and take. So I want you to watch to see God's glory and let me show you what I'm saying. Yesterday we had our recovery Christmas party. And I don't know if you know about this about me, I used to play the piano. And when I say I used to play the piano, I mean I used to play the piano in church. From 13 to 33, I was a music director and worship pastor in various stages. And at this point, I've really decided I'm kind of retired except for playing children's songs with my kids. And so I was asked, hey, we're having this recovery Christmas party. Would you be willing to learn some songs like Frosty the Snowman, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Jingle Bells, etc., to do a sing-along with the kids? And so I did, and I spent some time. I took it very seriously and learned these songs. And it came time for the party yesterday, and they pulled out the piano, and it was the time for me to play, and so I sat down, and we played the songs, we were silly. And then I noticed that there was a little boy, and he's not from our church, I've never seen him before, 
and he's a little three-year-old boy, and he was just really excited. So we had this one point where the congregational singing of in there, do you ever feel like in church that you look around and you're the only one singing? Anybody ever feel that here? Okay, well, there was a point where that was kind of going on in there, and we were singing jingle bells, not some like deep theological song. So I had this evil idea that what we were going to go ahead and do is every child got to pick one adult in the room that they would make be part of a choir. And so they went around, and they, each child was so excited, and I said, grown-ups, if you're in the room, you can't say no. And so each child got to go over and pick a grown-up who was going to be part of our choir, and they didn't. They thought it was a riot. And then there was this little boy that I mentioned, and I went up to him and I said, how would you like to learn to be a choir director? And he's three-year-old, so he's like, okay, I can do that. I said, all you have to do is you have to stand in front of them and wave your arms really excitingly. And so we have a video where this little boy's doing that. And then we're done, and it's great, and we had a nice time, and everyone's laughing. And someone says, hey, we should sing Happy Birthday Jesus. So we sing Happy Birthday Jesus. And we're getting ready to close. We're getting ready to tear everything down. And the little boy comes up to me and he says, hey, could we sing Happy Birthday Jesus one more time without the piano? And we do. And the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. Those are the opportunities, my friends, we want to look for. It's when we serve, we have an opportunity to see God's glory. And so I have a question for each of us. And I want you to think about this. If we're not seeing God's glory in our lives, are we serving? Are we really taking the chance to notice other people's needs? Are we really trying to be available and say, hey, not only am I going to be present, but when I serve, am I willing to say this isn't boring, but God's going to show up, and I'm, am I willing to acknowledge those moments that that happens? So I'm going to have you read this with me. If we aren't seeing God's glory, are we serving? How many problems could be fixed with that? What does it mean to be a shepherd? Here's our final thing, and we're going to wrap up with this. So we stay awake, we're present, right? So in your life, I'm going to invite you just, whether it's into the new year, whether it's into the rest of the day today, would you be willing to try being a little more present? Can we all make that commitment together? We'll say, hey, I'm going to be awake. I'm going to be present. And then I'm going to look for God's glory. And ultimately, we're going to embrace God's solution. So I want to show you this final part of the text. And it's this last little bit, and we're going to read it together. And so here's what it says. We embrace God's solution. Verse 10 here. But the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Now, I want to I I keep this one simple. There's no clever story. There's no personal story. There's just a couple things I want to point out. Number one, there's a lot of reasons to be afraid, whether it's 2,000 years ago or now. There's a lot of reasons why we can say, I can't serve. There's a lot of reasons why we can say, I'm the wrong person. It's not me. I shouldn't do it, right? There's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of reasons to go to sleep. Anybody ever feel tired? Anybody ever feel like you're legitimately exhausted? Or maybe you sometimes feel like, hey, I did my time. I'm ready for another group of people to step up because I'm just, I'm kind of done. What I want to invite us to see is that we can embrace God's solution. What does it mean to serve like a shepherd? It's really to understand that all the temporary problems, whether of 
2,000 years ago or now are temporary. Let's think of what some of those problems were 2,000 years ago. They had a Roman occupation. Is everybody clear that when you think of the Christmas story, we always think of what? Shepherds and angels and baby Jesus. Do you ever think of Roman guards? They didn't have the freedom to just congregate the way they wanted. They were looking over their shoulders. They were an occupied, enslaved group of people. They also had another problem. Do you ever feel like, whether on the left, the right, the up, the down, the partisan, the nonpartisan, notice I just picked on everyone, do you ever feel like you have bad leaders? You don't have a single leader as bad as Herod. Herod rounded up all the two-year-old boys and under and killed them. Okay? So ultimately, the temporary problems of their day were really bad. And yet, starting with these shepherds, there's people who were willing to step up and serve. What I want to be clear about is that these shepherds that we so often see at Christmas time, they are the lowest in their society, and they also are the people who were the first to see the baby Jesus, the first to see God's solution. What is God's solution? Good news that will bring great joy for all the people. That's the gospel. I hand out these crosses. Sometimes there are, these were made by a dear sweet friend of ours and are connected to our ministry, and they were given to me as a pastor. To Sometimes I give these out to people at a funeral. Sometimes I give them out on a hospital visit. On one side, they say faith, hope, and love. And they're nice. And I tell people, hey, if you're feeling isolated and alone, you can hold it, you can pray. It's actually designed so it can be held in your hand. But on the other side, it's got the star in the manger. Because so often we detach Christmas from the rest of the gospel story. So often we say, hey, Christmas is about baby Jesus and Santa Claus and Christmas trees and gifts and feeling exhausted. And then I'm going to have my spiritual experience at Easter time. What I want to show you is that starting at Christmas, when the baby Jesus came in, the baby Jesus grew up to be the big boy Jesus, who saw himself not primarily as a carpenter, but as a shepherd, who said, I came not to, again, I said this at the beginning, we're going to clearly emphasize it, not to be served, but to serve. The baby came to serve. And so here's my question. Are you willing to serve like Jesus. Now, a lot of times people wonder what's a tangible way to do things. So I'm not putting anybody up on a pedestal, but we've got a group of men in our church who get up at 6.30 every Wednesday. They get up before that. Some of them drive up to a half hour away, and they come to a room in our building, and they have a study. They pray together as men, and then they read the Bible together, and then they go off to work. And this group of people, who I believe are naturally some of the people in our congregation who get serving the most already, these group of people decided, hey, there's something we need to work on for the new year. Do you know what they decided? They said, we want to focus on service. We feel like we can understand service more. So they're going to be reading this book called Developing a Servant's Heart. Become fully like Christ by serving others. I want you to notice, does it say become fully like Christ by being the expert? No. Does it say become fully like Christ by, oh, we like this one, turning over the tables, right? Going in and shouting about everything we disagree with. No, it says becoming fully like Christ by serving others. This is a study by Charles Stanley. 
Here's what the book says. The foremost characteristic of the life of Jesus Christ is service. We are most like him when we serve as he served. And so here's my question. You know, there's all sorts of things that you may decide you want to have as a New Year's resolution. You may say, hey, I want to do more of this. I may want to do less of this. Maybe I want to look this certain way. Maybe I want to change this about me. I'm not saying don't do that. What I'm going to tell you is this. People ask me, as your relatively young-ish pastor, what is your vision for the church? One of my visions for this church is I want the people here, and many of us do already, we do a wonderful job, but the people here and our entire community community to be known as a group of people who serve. Who serve not just in our church, but serve as tutors. Who serve in the schools who you walk into the public library and you see someone from Faith Community Church there, not pushing a Jesus agenda, but simply serving, who you walk down to the waterfront and you see people there just being kind and you bump into them and they're just being helpful and available to serve. My vision for our church that I believe is God's vision for our church and I believe it's God's vision for your life is to serve like Jesus. That's it. If we start to really say, let's be intentional about serving like Jesus, imagine the amazing things he can do with our lives. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we come into a time where it's so easy to get pulled in other directions, but we're in a world where it gets so easy to get pulled into other directions. Lord, would you make it clear that each of us has an opportunity to look for the opportunities to presently serve. That it's not that we're going to have these other experiences that we're going to feel amazing about, but it's through serving like Jesus that we will see your glory. And Lord, if we're feeling pressure about telling people about Jesus or evangelism or anything like that, Lord, remind us that the best way to share the gospel is to simply serve like Jesus. Lord, I pray that if we're sitting here today and we're moved by this, that we would not forget in five minutes, but we take an opportunity to write down, to mark down, and to say, yes, Lord, I don't need to feel more guilt, more judgment, more shame, more frustration. What I can do is I can look for the places that you have given me to serve, and I can say yes. Lord, help us walk worthy of the calling by which we're called. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.